Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Vivian Roberts, and I'm the founder and artistic director of Aleph Contemporary. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce our two speakers, Jonathan Watkins and Henry Ward. Jonathan Watkins has been the director of Icon Gallery Birmingham since 1999. Previously, he worked for a number of years in London as curator of the Serpentine Gallery, 1995 to 1997, and director of Chisholm Hill Gallery, 1990 to 1995. He has curated several large international exhibitions, including the Biennale of Sydney, 1998, Facts of Life, Contemporary Japanese Art, Hayward Gallery, 2001, Cotidiani, Castello di Rivoli, Turin, 1999, Tate Triennial, 2003, Shanghai Biennale, 2006, Sharjah Biennial, 2007, Negotiations, Today Art Museum Beijing, 2010, and the Guangzhou Triennial, 2012. He was on the curatorial team of Rewak, Palestinian Biennale, 2007. He curated the Iraqi Pavilion for the Venice Biennale in 2013 and Floating Word Bahrain in 2017. In 2019, Watkins was the curator of Small Between the Stars, Large Against the Sky, the ninth Manif da Quebec City Biennial. Jonathan Watkins has served on numerous committees and boards, most recently for the Imperial War Museum, 2011 to 2016, Arts Council Collection Acquisitions Committee, 2011 to 2013, and 14 to 18. Now, First World War Centenary Cultural Programme, 2013 to 2017. He won the 1992 Prudential Award for the Visual Arts UK, and in 2013 was nominated as one of the top 100 global thinkers by Foreign Policy magazine. In 2018, he won the inaugural Ampersand Award to realize the exhibition of his dreams, Carlo Crivelli, 2022. Henry Ward is a painter living and working in London. He is interested in exploring the language of paint by investigating the threshold between abstraction and representation. In 2018, he had a solo exhibition, Abracadabra, at AMP Gallery London. He was shortlisted for the Trinity Boy Wolf Drawing Prize in 2018 and 2019, and included in both the Beep Painting Biennial, Cardiff, and Wells Contemporary in 2020. He is also included in the Drawing Room Biennial 2021. The first substantial publication on his work, Shed Paintings, was published in 2021. Ward is Creative Director of Freelance Foundation, a charity that supports artists and art education. He has lectured internationally on approaches to art education and is widely published. He works as a visiting lecturer at art schools across the United Kingdom, including University of Brighton, Manchester Metropolitan University, Plymouth College of Art, Wimbledon School of Art, and Wolverhampton School of Art. He is a trustee of Bolton Contemporary and an advisor to Martin Gropius Bau in Berlin, Germany. Uh, it's lovely to see you. And there's so much, there's so much more to say. There uh, is, there uh, is. Um, lovely to see you too. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. So, um, okay. 
I thought I'd begin by asking you, Henry, about the about the dates of the work in the Battle exhibition, because there's an interesting gap. I I noticed some earlier works, 2018, 2019, and then we jump into 2021. And yeah, we all know why, but it would be interesting to hear you say, uh, you know, what went on in that in that year? What what happened to 2020? Well, as you say, we all know what happened in 2020. Um, I think, I mean, in terms of what happened with the work, uh, what was very interesting for me in 2020 was that the the um, when the lockdown happened in March and everything kind of closed down and that kind of extraordinary time we were all thrown into at the beginning of the pandemic, um, everything, you know, everything closed down, everything stopped. Um, the studio that I use did stay open, uh, but the, you know, we were being encouraged, obviously we were being, being encouraged from government perspective not to travel unless it was absolutely necessary. And also the people that run the studio I'm at um, were encouraging people not to go in unless they, um, unless they really, really, really couldn't, couldn't avoid it. So I, I have, as I think we, we've sort of mentioned before, talked about before, and uh, you know, I have three sites um, three sites of practice uh, and one of those is my studio and then another one is my kitchen table where I make objects but the third one is the shed in the garden and what happened in uh, when lockdown happened was that the shed became really really important and so for the I suppose not the whole of 2020 but for a very large part of 2020 the focus of my practice was the shed and was much smaller works on paper um, and so going back to your question in terms of how that sits with the exhibition. Um, there are some of those works on paper that then became component parts of larger pieces, which ended up being resolved in 2021, but the actual component parts were begun in the shed on paper in 2020. Um, but most of the paintings that I made in 2020 were works on paper, um, which is why there has this strange kind of a gap in a sense in the, in the Baffle show. But it's also interesting, uh, the difference between what you do in the shed and what you do in the studio. I mean, what kind of painting it is. And you've described it as a kind of pure painting in the, sh in the shed. You know, you're kind of painting and almost painting without thinking. Whereas the studio is a place for reflection and review and, and a place for not painting. And I thought that was quite interesting. I mean, you've had this you know, extraordinary uh, phase in in your career where you've just concentrated purely on painting. I thought it was rather sort of almost existentialist, you know, lonely, solitary figure in a small room, you know, dedicated to this to this um, sort of basic activity. And and you don't title the work you. You date the works. I mean, the 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 shed painting. It's almost like you're kind of counting off the days. Like you're a, well, you're not a prisoner exactly, but well, to some extent, you are a prisoner within this existentialist scenario. And then you're released, and you can kind of feel it in the work in in 2021. But do you want to say more about? I mean, and I, you know, perhaps it would be great to, to if Vivian could uh, illustrate this um, about how you know, the, what, what difference that made, you know, that episode in which you were painting purely in your shed and 
you know, what, and then what came after? I mean, what's the difference between 2018, 2019 and 2021? So I think, um, yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think that the, the, there is something about, I hadn't thought of it like that, but, but it, it's right. There is something about the titling the shared paintings just with the dates, almost being like chalking off the days of incarceration. And there's definitely something about it almost feeling like a um, like a diary. The chronology of those works is really quite important. You know, the sort of the the phase, because I think one of the things that's come out of painting in the shed so intensely for the last kind of year and a bit has been a, developing a real understanding of the role of layers and time within the works. And I think that you know that when I when I talk about the, the way I'll spend time in the studio and those periods of reflection those periods of kind of contemplation and the sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek but you know the studio is a place to go and have a cup of coffee and doze and listen to music and all sorts of other things but there is truth in that in that it is a kind of a it, it feels like a real sanctuary it's a real space to go and actually spend time thinking only about about the work and not about all the other things we have to think about in our lives and because the shed isn't comfortable and it does have this sort of sense of production um in a way for a long time, those two practices felt quite separate. And I think that what's happened in 2021 is, a, is an interesting marriage of those two things. I'm, I'm beginning to, to see how that sort of rapidity of process in the shed and the kind of intensity of production feeds into these more contemplative paintings in some ways, um, quite literally. So the composite works where, you know, the parts of these paintings were made in the shed and then take on a new form when joined together in the studio, but also the kind of conversation between the layers that happen at different points within that chronology. And what, and what started to happen in 2021, which is not, is not um, necessarily evident actually in the works in this exhibition, because it's sort of happening within the current shed paintings, is that I'm, I'm going back to older works a lot more and then reworking. So there are conversations beginning to happen between paintings that took place a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or sometimes even older and new elements of those paintings that are coming in now so I feel like there are some of the very recent works feel like there are conversations between a 2018 palette for example and a 2021 sensibility and they're having a different kind of conversation and I think that that's something that is coming out of the the pace actually and pace is something that I'm becoming increasingly interested in the idea of rapid painting because that's something I've always I'm, I'm fast I do paint very quickly so I will you know even a, a substantial canvas will get covered extraordinarily fast but then actually recognizing there's nothing wrong with painting very quickly but there's an importance in having these long periods of gestation and contemplation before the next period of rapid activity so there's a sort of a almost musical thing going on of very very quick and long periods of slow and very quick and long periods of slow and and the balance between those two things, which started with the slow bit being the studio and the quick bit being the shed, and now the two things seem to be kind of blurring in some ways. Yeah, so you're painting, you're painting quickly, slowly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's something, I remember reading a long time ago, reading something about Howard Hodgkin um, and sort of quite querying, I think even as an art student, sort of querying the dates on some of his works sometimes and looking and going, you can't tell me that painting took him all the time from 1972 to 1993. It's ridiculous, 21 years on a painting. And then reading an interview where he talked about the idea that he might make a painting in 1972 and it might sit facing the wall for 21 years and then he'll turn it around and realise it needs one mark of green and suddenly it's done. And I know there's a sort of slightly cliched 
kind of romantic vision to that. What's wrong with cliched and romantic? But I think, um, but you know, actually there is something in that. And I think sometimes you can sort of worry at a painting for a while and really not know where it's going. And you do need to sort of leave it alone and, and, and abandon it and then allow it to kind of sink in through your peripheral vision and wink at you and tell you it needs something else. And I, I think, I think that's quite, that's quite an exciting, that's an exciting thing. Meanwhile, you're, I mean, you know, you're going back to your shed regularly and, and producing lots of these works on paper, which yeah. are, so this was interesting for me, um, you know, the idea of dating works and painting in acrylic, you can get them done in a day and you can, you know, you can work on acrylics differently because they dry so much faster, which is the key to Onkawara's date paintings. I mean, you can only make those paintings once acrylic paint had been invented because, you know, you couldn't finish them uh, yeah. in a day, counting off dates in the same way. I mean, I've, I mean, the work is, is completely different, but there's a similar sort of intensity in the, in the, in the proposition. Then um, the work in the studio is all in oils. I mean, everything in this exhibition is, is well, obviously much larger and, um, and, um, and composites to some extent of, of these shed paintings that you were talking about. Um, yeah, and, and in oils, and in oils, and oils, you know, or you can paint quickly with oils, but they dry more, much more slowly. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are a couple of exceptions uh, in the in the um, in the in Baffle, which are actually acrylics on paper on canvas, which were not reworked back into, um, uh, which are the two Molyneux paintings that we probably will talk about at some point. Um, but the but yeah, on the whole, they are they're either they're either paintings made entirely in the studio or on canvas, or they are these composites which are begun as acrylics on paper and then become the surface upon which oil is added to. Um, in the studio when the, the, the paintings are joined together. Um, and I think it is into, I mean, the, the, the physical act of painting in the studio is rapid as well um, with the oils, but yes, the, the medium forces a different kind of relationship to it. You know, there, whereas with the shed, because the paintings are so small and because they're acrylic and they dry fast, you can sort of paint one and you can, you can paint a half a dozen and they just stack up and you paint another half a dozen and they stack up and then you pull them out and it's very, very quick. But the, um, in the studio, especially on the larger works, you know, you sort of, in a way, the painting forces a point where it says, well, you're gonna to have to stop because you need to give me some time to have a bit of a rest and a, and a bit of a dry before you do anything else to me. And that's quite interesting. So, so maybe it's the paintings forcing me to do the dozing bit in the studio, I don't know, because it's sort of, it says it's had enough. What about the, what about titles? I mean, I mean, the, the, the shed paintings essentially don't have them. I mean, the title embodies the, the day on which they were made, but the these works, I mean, these works have all got titles, and mm. and it would be interesting to talk about how you title work. But then you also title the exhibition. You call it Baffle. Mm. I mean, there's often an ambiguity. You often choose one word, and it could be a noun or a verb, or it could be a word that has two very distinct meanings. Baffle is one of those. Mm. Um, so how did you how did you land on Baffle for the title of this exhibition? So um, yeah, first of all, I think I mean that's an astute observation. You know, I, I, most of my paintings are one word titles, and I think all of them in this exhibition are one word titles. And and they and I am really drawn to words that can be nouns and verbs. And I really like the idea that you might think you're looking at something that's describing an object, maybe it's describing an action. And I like the way that words can. I think you know. 
I suppose I, I think about what I'm doing as sitting within the language of abstraction, although there are elements of figuration in some of the paintings. But I like the idea of the titles maybe nudging a certain kind of interpretation, but not being so fixed that people think they're looking at a painting of something. So that's kind of where those those one word titles come from. And I make um, uh, I make lists of words all the time. So I'm always writing down, you know, I have notebooks full of just lists of words. Um, and sometimes the paintings will suggest a word to me as that I'm, I mean, not quite literally, but almost, you know, I'll be working away and think, oh, this painting feels like it wants to be called this. But often or not, the painting will sit untitled for a long time and I'll browse through just the words and think nothing's sticking and then something will leap out. Um, where Baffle came from was uh, early on in the conversations with Vivian, once we, we sort of talked about doing the show, uh, Vivian talked about quite liking titles coming from quotations from artists that, uh, that, that one might be interested in. And we'd had a talk about various people that I liked. And uh, obviously, you know, it comes as no surprise to anybody looking at my work. Philip Guston is big influence and hugely important. And Vivian sent a rather lovely quote to me one day that had uh, from Guston that I hadn't read before. And, and I can't remember the quote, but in it, it talked about being baffled by something. And the word sort of stuck. And I thought, I quite like the idea of this word baffled. And then I started thinking about the fact that, of course, to baffle is one thing, but a baffle is something else. And this whole idea of, you know, sort of a, a sound block on the motorway or, you know, some kind of structure that's blocking and all those sorts of things. And I, the more I thought about that word, the more excited I got by the idea that it, it in some ways almost seemed to sum up why I'm interested in the single words within a word itself. And also I think the its relationship to sound, I think, was important because I think that one of the things in the, the book that um, that I published this year, the Shed Painting book, one of the things that Ben Street wrote about in the essay was about this possible relationship to sound and the idea of the kind of quietness of the shed and then maybe the sound of the gesture and that idea of, and I, I'm, I'm sort of interested in, you know, the relationship between painting and music maybe and that idea of where things sit and, you know, paintings are, once they're finished, they, they don't make sounds, but maybe they suggest the sound of their making or the sound of the space in which they're made. So there were lots of things about that title that kind of excited me without necessarily wanting to nail down too, too fine a description. Yeah, no, he, but he makes the, the point that, that, um, that there's a kind of um, uh, suggestion of sound that evokes a sense of place, mm. which is interesting. And then of course, I mean, it also, it also, in, in, in the case of the shed paintings, I mean, if, if they evoke anything, it's also a sense of time passing, you know, to the point where you're entitling the work uh, with, yeah. with, with, on which it was made. So it's kind of, yeah, pinpointing a very particular place and, and time. With the, um, with the works in, in the Baffle exhibition, it strikes me that there are two, two kinds of titles. There are some that are very specific and, you know, relate to, you know, subject matter that we, couldn't recognize, you know, as an inspiration for, mm. the, for the painting that you've made. One is Medusa, and the other, you know, we talked about it earlier, uh, Molyneux. You know, you've got two paintings of Molyneux, and I know you've visited Wolverhampton uh, more than once, uh, and I think you like football, so perhaps you're drawn to the <laughs> football stadium of Wolverhampton Wanderers. And, uh, and then, and it looks like you're a, uh, a fan of uh, Jericho as well. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, mean I, in fact, in, in order to um, sort of put myself more in the picture, I, 
I looked at the Rafa of the Medusa again and, and set it alongside uh, your Medusa painting and you know, was struck by the, by the translation that you make. I mean, it's really, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, ma it's a major work in the show, I think. And I mean, you know, so has such strong visual impact. I mean, what, so you've got these works that are very particular. I mean, so there's Molyneux and there's Medusa, and then there are these other works that have titles like Baffle, I mean, it's like Scaffold, Lean. Um, uh, let me think of, um, let me think of some others that I wrote down, Settle and, and Heap, you know, and, um, and they're much more generic mm. uh, titles. So does that mean that for some works you are being very particular in terms of your inspiration and in others you're, you know, you're being more, um, what's the word, sort of broad in your um in your outlook yeah i think that's again that's a really astute observation and and that is exactly how they divide in the sense that those three Molyneux one Molyneux three and medusa all have different motivations in terms of how they came about um and were much more specific uh, in terms of the i suppose their their starting points um and the others are the other paintings are much more about using painting as a way to try and work out what the painting's going to be and so it's very much a kind of i don't i don't have a plan i don't think oh i've got the composition in mind or anything like that it's very much i'll start painting they'll they'll get rotated many times they'll have different layers things will be scraped off come back forms suggest themselves so they in a lots of ways the way in which they're made is not dissimilar to what happens in the shed except it's over these very long periods of time and then the titles either come towards the end or long time after the painting's finished. And they're very much about trying to marry this list of words and go, oh, that sort of feels like that. Um, but the difference with the, the other three, the, the two Molyneux paintings and Medusa is that uh, in two different ways, they had a different kind of motivation. So the two Molyneux paintings um, came about. So I did a, as you mentioned, I, I visited Wolverhampton a few times, and on this particular occasion, I was invited to take part in a residency at the art school called Dirty Practice. And the whole point of Dirty Practice is that the studios are given over to artists after the, the sort of degree show has come down. So you have these kind of white painted walled studios with the mess of the degree show that's been removed. And, and, and you go up for the week and you're just given a space, you take a space, and every day people eat together and we talk about things and various people have get asked to do presentations. It's a wonderful, very intensive week. And um, in planning to go up, I, I, I couldn't really see how I could go and make, like taking canvases up just felt like this isn't gonna work. You know, I, I don't even know what the space is gonna look like yet. So I thought I'd take the, I'd translate the shed practice into the practice of being at Wolverhampton for a week. So I just took lots and lots of paper and acrylics and thought, well, I'll just make shed paintings, but they won't be shed paintings because they'll be in this art school. And then what happened was the space that I was given was just huge. I mean, it was an enormous studio, far bigger than the studio I've got in London. So I started making these paintings quite quickly and pinning them up. And almost immediately I did that because I had the space to do it. Instead of just pinning them up to look at individually, they sort of, they wanted to be next to one another. And then over a course of the first couple of days, these paintings I was making began to form into this enormous painting that was all these shapes. And simultaneously, the second thing that was happening was that I was very conscious of the kind of architecture. And obviously you're familiar with the, the building, you know, the, the building itself is 
this extraordinary, you know, 1967 brutalist purpose-built tower. Uh, from the studio I was in, you could look into the Molyneux football ground through its kind of crazy sort of architecture. And I just got really drawn to the forms and the shapes and the space I was in. And it wasn't exactly, to begin with, it wasn't exactly a conscious, oh, I'm going to paint those shapes. But I started realizing that some of the more instinctive forms I was using in the paintings looked a bit like the frame of the window and so on. And so then as I painted more, I started looking outside the window a lot more and doing drawings and thinking, actually, that is really interesting about those structures. So what happened over the course of the time in Wolverhampton was I actually made four quite large works that were made from these multiple smaller paintings. Um, and just titled them Molyneux one, two, three, and four. Um, and they they then sort of sat as a, when I came back to London and got back into the studio, that became, they, they, they sort of suggested this might be a different way of thinking about working, actually these component parts, bringing them together. So in 2019, the latter part of 2019, I then did make a, a, a number of these more composite works and then got involved in other things and doing other things. And then and then off the back of the intensive shed paintings of 2020 and suddenly having this kind of piles and piles and piles of works on paper, I revisited this as an idea, which is where paintings like Totem and Drift came from. And then Medusa was slightly different in that um, Medusa was made actually with Baffle in mind, in that, um, so Vivian had come to do a studio visit and we talked about the works that might that might be in this show. And Vivian was very excited about what was happening with these composites. And um, we talked about, you know, the, the, the kind of excitement of the idea of the virtual space of the show affording the opportunity to show some pretty big works. And, and uh, so we had a conversation like, it would be great to do something really ambitious. And the problem with being asked to do something really ambitious is, you know, your head starts going, what's ambitious, you know? And, and the, the Raft of the Medusa um, is, a, is a painting which, well, I guess I've been sort of fascinated by for basically my entire life. And, and you know, I've been to see it on numerous occasions in the Louvre and read about it. And I don't think, I don't think as a painting, it, you know, it will, ever, it will ever run out of interesting things to offer every time you look at it. So I thought, well, it might be interesting to, to do my own version of that. And, and it, was a very, it was almost like setting a project. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll divide the painting up into 32 sections, and then I'll just work at night in the shed, and I'll just work on them as individual paintings. And so for the first time, instead of the shed paintings being instinctive, they were looking at you know, a little reproduction of a tiny section of this painting. And of course, in most cases, that immediately made it very abstract um, and hard to read, which was great, because then I was just using it as a starting point and then getting excited about what was happening in the painting. But I did stack them up in order. So when I then took them into the studio and made these big stretches and pasted them up, it was like suddenly there was this sort of composition presented itself. And I, was, I, I thought about, there's a, there's a really lovely story about um, Picasso uh, when he was in the Battle of War in 1907, painting the Demoiselle d'Avignon. And, you know, Picasso liked painting at night and there was no electricity and he didn't have much money. So he was painting by candlelight. And the idea of this, you know, the Demoiselle is not, not quite rough and reduced the scale, but it's a fairly substantial size painting. And the idea that Picasso was painting this largely by candlelight, 
I kind of get my head around this idea that he could only see a tiny part of this painting at any one time. And somehow he had to make sense of it, even though he couldn't see it because it was in shadow. And I thought there was a sort of parallel with this idea that each of these sections was painted as a separate thing. And I sort of had to kind of I have an idea of how this might fit together, but also an acknowledgement that it might not. And not fitting together might be slightly more interesting anyway. And when it came into the studio and was then brought together as this one substantial painting, so it's two metres by 3.2 metres, um, whilst it had certain elements that really rang out and, and felt like they were kind of compositionally true to the Jericho, like the sort of that strong diagonal on the left-hand side and so on, um, I didn't look at the painting by Jericho again. And then it was absolutely about well, what's here and how do I deal with what's here and what do I lose and what do I keep and allowing that, that which I think is the most exciting thing about paintings for me of that conversation with the material where, you know, what I'm trying to do is whether, whether in the shed or in the studio is paint to a position of, of not knowing what I'm doing. And the most exciting thing is coming back into the space and looking at something and thinking, I have no idea how that ended up there because I don't remember doing it. And, and with Medusa, that was, that was key that it was about really pushing things to a point where I go back in and there'd be a, you know, an edge of pink coming out behind a, a kind of ochre and I, I don't I don't remember painting the pink at all or any of it and it all seems to have appeared so I think that kind of but it was hanging on this I suppose this structure of that pro, both the process and the original composition allowing me space to then lose myself in it I don't know if that makes sense but do you imagine do you imagine now that you might go on to to paint in response to other other historical works in the same way if you've got an you're starting to sort of develop maybe a, a series of, of inspired by old masters. Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's it's a few people have asked me that question, and I I mean I certainly when I set out to do it, I didn't really think about that it might open the door to that. But I think it is a. I think there's probably some there's probably some mileage in that. There's probably some space in that. I think I'd get something out of it, and I think yeah, you know I have been sort of browsing through books and thinking that could be kind of interesting you know so I think there are and I quite like that I mean I I remember actually on foundation which is obviously a very long time ago doing a transcription of the Titian's Bacchus and Ariadne that hangs in the National Gallery and going down from St Martin's to the National Gallery every lunchtime to do some drawings and then doing that and I think there is something I do like that tradition of taking on taking on something from the canon and wrestling with it I think is quite a yeah, I think it's quite an exciting thing. I mean, I think about, I mean, I'm not sure I fancy taking on Les Mananas, but, you know, you think about Picasso wrestling with that and then somebody like John Walker and the shapes that came out of those early John Walkers in the 70s that came from that, you know, the Infanta and so on, and, and, and the constant re revisions and reworkings of those things. And I think there is, I think maybe there's something in particular about painting, actually, that that gives us space to do that, that sort of... To, to unpick and understand things through the remaking of and the the wrestling with and the making your own and I I think you know I'm I'm really I'm really um, excited about what happened in that Medusa painting and I and I I mean I toyed for a long while about whether it should be called Medusa and at the beginning I sort of thought well I want to call it that because I also quite like the idea that if somebody doesn't get the reference they will be looking for a woman with snakes in her hair and I quite like the idea of that. Um, and then I thought, oh, I don't know, but then is it too, is it really going to send anybody that knows their stuff is going to immediately see the painting and without titling it, I mean, even friends who are painters and stuff, I, I showed photographs of the painting without a title and people saw other things, you know, said, oh, this is 
God, you're doing a great big landscape. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. You know, so it's sort of how people read things. But as soon as you do say it's Medusa, I think people do read it as the, you know, based on that painting. Yeah, well, like me, they go straight to Google and um, put one <laughs> into the other. But the other, the other, the other words, the other titles that we mentioned, you know, lean, settle, scaffold, etc. They're about something else, and it, you know, they're. You know, Molyneux is interesting because it, you know, it's a piece of architecture, and there does it strikes me that there is something quite architectural in your work. It's almost there's another kind of layering going on. I mean, there's a layering that one. Uh, it often refers to in painting, um, you know, it, you know, across the picture plane, but then there's the sort of layering, almost like kind of sort of building up of some of something, you know, with within the work, and it and it starts from the bottom and sort of moves to the top, uh, often, you know, and it's there. I mean, scaffolding does that. Towers do that. You lean, you lean against something. You know, it's vertical. It's going up, um, and. You know the idea of joining and assemblage. I wondered. I mean, to one, to some extent, I know that, for example, the work that you showed in Abracadabra, the the works from the kitchen table, where these assemblages of found objects, and they were meant as, um, uh, you know, they were kind of like little models, um, or or some kind of um, yeah, sort of model for a for a, a painting subsequently that you would work from that assemblage that you've made and the assembly you know there is this kind of feeling of assemblage in in your work and um and i sort of wonder what you know you know what why is that happening i mean what and it, i mean there is a kind of a i mean it's almost like the subject matter is almost a bit is a, a process of building up somehow and it's and it's architectural I noticed. I mean, you may say no. Yeah. No, no. I think again. You know, I think you're right, and I think that there is. I mean, what was interesting with making the objects was that they were. I mean, in a way, they were a sort of um, a slightly desperate attempt to work out how to paint anything because I, at the point that I started making those, I'd, I'd sort of painted myself into a bit of a corner where I was making paintings which. I didn't really want to be recognizable things, but I found it very hard to just paint. You know, it's that kind of, so I'd think, well, I need something to paint. So at the time, just before I started making the objects, I was actually making paintings of explosions. And the reason I was making paintings of explosions was because explosions are great things to paint because they allow you to get really inventive with the brush and it's terrific, but they're also awful things to paint because anybody who looks at them immediately thinks you're trying to make some kind of comment on stuff because um, they're very emotive subjects. So. I was sort of desperately looking for something to hang paint on that didn't necessarily have to have a subject that got people worried about what the painting was about. And so the first objects were made with that intention. I'll make an object out of stuff I pick up off the floor and then I can paint that. And then it's in front of me and it gives me a prop to work with, but it's not a thing that anybody can name because it's made of all this rubbish that isn't anything. Um, and it was a complete disaster. I mean, the paintings were terrible, absolutely terrible. They looked really forced and strange and like, oh, this is horrible. But what did happen was the, 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 the formal things that happened in making sculpture, which I'd never really done before, um, completely changed the way I thought, started thinking about the material within paintings. So this, this kind of act of wrapping something around something or wedging something into something else or balancing something or finding a way of propping something, um, I realized that, again, it wasn't, a, it wasn't like, a, oh, I'm going to do that in painting. It was that when I was painting, I started thinking about, you know, even the sort of action of a gesture of a mark 
started to feel like I was wrapping something around something else or I was pushing something into something else or wedging something or balancing something. And so over a sort of period of time, I started making a lot of the, went through a period of making a lot of these objects, and, you know, couldn't got to a point where I obsessively couldn't go anywhere without picking stuff off the floor all the time, which obviously is horribly embarrassing to, to, you know, your family, if you're out and all you're doing all the time is just bending down the gutter and picking up other people's crap. And then I sort of spill it all out on the kitchen table and make these forms. Um, and the forms just, they didn't, they didn't directly inspire the paintings, but that action, the kind of action of making them did. So that idea of sort of building has become really, really important. And I think that, that I'm really interested in the process within a painting where it's like these necessary stages that I need to go through in order to build the painting up to a point where the stuff starts to happen. And it is almost like, I suppose, that kind of idea of certainly modelled sculpture or assembled sculpture, not carving or casting, but that idea of the additive process of sculpture where you're, you know, you're starting with something and you're adding something else and you're adding something else, adding something else. And, and that process of knowing that very often the thing you start with is not going to be visible. Um, but if it wasn't there, the sculpture would fall down. And I think there's something very interesting that kind of meta metaphorically in painting that, you know, actually the first marks, the things that you put down, you build, they're not going to be there at the end, but if you didn't do them, the painting would fall down. And I think there's a, there's definitely a, definitely a relationship there. Yeah, no, that's really, it's interesting to hear you say that. I mean, the idea of the found, foundations that are laid to some extent and then sort of built on and, you know, that is the manifestation of this kind of activity that then we see. And of course, if you're painting quickly, I mean, in the style of painting that you have, we see where you've been. I mean, I find that really exciting. I mean, we, we watch you building this thing up. I mean, yes, you, you know, there are layers there that are invisible, but then there is this sort of movement around the delimited space that is the, the, the canvas, the picture plane. And it's a pleasure, you know, sort of watching you kind of making a decision, you know, that, uh, you know, that probably came on top of that. And that was then followed by that. And, you know, you made that mark and then you had to kind of respond to it. So as you say, I mean, the painting um, sort of inspires your painting. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I think what's interesting about that is as a viewer of the work, you do have that experience but you but but you have the experience in reverse so you're you, the first thing you see is the last thing i see and yeah. then and then and then you you unpick everything back to where it started whereas the the actual making of the painting of course is the other way around so i have no idea what i'm going to have when i set out whereas you know exactly what i've got when you set out because that's what you can see and then you so i think that's kind of an interesting it's like the painting acting as a a fulcrum you know it's right in the middle and, and you have one journey from it as a viewer of it, and I have a completely different journey from it. But in, in the end, we, we have this moment that the painting marks that, yeah. yeah that's actually, that, I mean, it reminds me of um, people who paint on glass, you know, so that then you view it from the other side. So in fact, the, the, the first thing you see is the first thing you see. It's the, you know, it's, I mean, that must be so difficult. Um, <laughs> yeah. A whole other, whole other uh, conversation. Um, then there's then there's the subject matter. I mean, you know, the paintings become, you know, the subjects of of themselves. I mean, there is the there is the subject matter of uh, a Jericho painting. There is the subject matter of um, of Molyneux. But then, uh, you know, I mean, some, it, then there's the whole question of representation and abstraction. And you talk about uh, 
I mean, it, it, all the statements I've sort of read of yours, you know, there is this strong reference to the, the balance that you want to strike between the figurative and the and the abstract. In fact, I'd say, you know, I mean, if you, you know, if you were at one end of the spectrum or the other, you're at the abstract, the abstract end. Um, but what is your feeling about what is your feeling about subject matter, particularly during these days? I mean, it's not like it, you know, you're not a you know a formalist in the um, old-fashioned modernist sense, and you're not repudiating subject matter. And it's not as if you don't have um, you know. I mean, you're. I know that you have politics, political thoughts, and you know, sort of a philosophical take on things particularly interested in, well, the definition of art and art education is very important to you. And it's not like you're in a studio, you know, just simply caring about yourself because it's art for art's sake. I mean, I just know that that's not the kind of artist or person that you are. So where do you, you know, where do you sit in relation to um, an artist's obligation to embrace current affairs or the or a zeitgeist i mean it, a lot of things have been going on and it, you know there was a pandemic there was black lives matter in the middle of it there um was increasingly uh through this through 2020 there was this um well it was it was the year of greta thunberg as well and you know I mean, you know we became so much more aware of the environment much more than we were previously perhaps because we had time to dwell on it um so some artists feel that this, you know, it would be irresponsible to, um, to, to, to sit in a shed and paint pure paintings because it's just so much so important and urgent right now, and it's an artist's duty to, um, to, to sort of grasp, uh, you know, these urgent issues. What well, I mean, where do you sit? Uh, in that question? It's such a thorny question, Jonathan. I mean, I think it's the kind of question you'd ask me if. Uh... Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I think. I mean, oh, it's so difficult. I, you know, I do. I, I, I feel. I, I guess I think you know all of these things are hugely important. I mean, the world is a terrifying place to be in at the moment in so many ways, and so many things that feel hugely pressing and vital and important. And I'm not saying art can't play a role in that. But I do often find myself kind of questioning whether art, whether art is um, the best way of dealing with a lot of those things. That actually there are quite often better ways of dealing with a lot of those challenges and those problems. I certainly don't think paintings are necessarily going to sort out some of those issues. So then I think maybe for myself, I have that moral battle of, well, if I'm spending my time doing this, Shouldn't I be spending my time doing something else that's more socially meaningful? And there's a kind of conflict. That's a constant conflict. Maybe everybody has about, you know, to what extent are we giving back to the world or doing something that's important? I mean, I think I mentioned Gustin earlier, but there was you know, something I, Gustin's really like one of my absolute heroes. But that if I think about that period in his work when he was shifting back from abstraction back towards figuration at the end of the 60s. And there's a very famous thing he said where he talked about um, watching what was going on in the world, you know, sort of re-election of Nixon and the Vietnam War and the, the kind of um, civil rights movement in America and all sorts of things that were going on. He said, you know, how can I watch all that happening 
every night and then go into the studio to adjust the red to a blue. And his sort of justification for bringing subject matter back into his paintings was I needed to use what I was doing to address directly what was happening in the world. And much as Gustin's really important and a real hero of mine, I also sort of think that you could say, watching all of that stuff every night on the television, all you want to do is go into the studio and adjust a red to a blue. That in, in a strange kind of way, and that might sound horribly kind of self-indulgent, but actually there is, there's a sort of therapeutic thing to escaping into the world of, of, of making these things that are hopefully transcend the moment in which we're in and perhaps have other meanings. And I think that just because the world's on fire doesn't mean that all we should do is go and get buckets to put it out. You know, there is a need to do other things too. And I, I sort of feel like, you know, you know that in my kind of broader work outside of painting, I'm engaged in all sorts of other projects and things that I think are more directly about social change and various other things. But in the end, then I quite like having a part that's also about going in a shed and self-indulgently making paintings about painting. Um, I mean, I'm particularly interested in the re-emergence of abstraction now, and you know, I think it's happening, and I can, and to some extent, you can see it almost as a sort of um, sort of reaction to to a kind of work that's been too research based, that's been too um, um, you know too right on, too um, um, you know too good in a sense. Um, and, and, and I think perhaps I was misrepresenting, well, not, I mean, I, I, mean, I was actually uh, formulating or articulating the cliche of that generation of American artists. Uh, you know, I mean, that was a traumatized generation. Mm. That was a generation that had seen uh, the Holocaust. I mean, the fact, you know, families had been lost um, in, you know, in concentration camps and there was some, you know, and everybody knows what it means to migrate to another place. And, you know, these are people that were not just, you know, um, simply loving color, form, shapes and lines. I mean, there was an awful lot of stuff, you know, be behind it all, but, yeah. you know, I mean, they didn't define themselves as artists who needed to wear that subject matter on their sleeve. Uh, you know, and to and to dismiss it as as um, uh, you know as as work that if you like repu repudiates or or is against the real world is a well, it's a kind of misrepresentation of non-representation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I mean I I just think there's something in you know the world would be a very dull place if art all had to directly respond to what was happening right then, right, you know, in a very immediate way. And it's not to be, I don't want to be dismissive of the kind of work that we're sort of um, circling in this conversation. Um, but, but, you know, I think work is interesting when it has, or I think the work I'm most interested in looking at is work that, that can be about multiple things or, or can, can be read in multiple ways. And, you know, the idea that there might be one motivation for making the painting, for example, but then maybe its historical context is misinterpreted later or, or, the, or the reading of it is shifts or, or, or its formal reading suggests something else. And so we end up with something which works on many, many layers. And I think that part of the possible danger with the, the kind of the, um, 
maybe I think I don't know whether this is the word you're looking for, but the, the kind of worthiness of certain works that are really trying to address a particular issue is that maybe it becomes so narrow that it that it, it will only ever have a, an interest at that moment in time and that it doesn't transcend doesn't transcend the time it's made in perhaps and I think I mean it's interesting you know going back to the raft of the Medusa and thinking about the 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 point at which that was made and the extraordinarily kind of short time between the disaster it depicts and its depiction which is given it was you know early 1800s is ludicrous and we're talking about you know the camera hadn't even been invented let alone the mobile phone and internet and all the rest of it but the sort of the, the politics within the painting are, uh, although they are very, in some ways, very, very on, very on the surface and very easy to read very quickly, they're also mul there are multiple meanings. And the painting transcends the time it was made in because we can read other things into it as well and other interpretations, other ideas. And, and then purely on a formal level, it's just extraordinary. So then you unpick all of that. And I think that I'm just interested in that side of things. I don't know. I don't, I, I can't, I can't imagine making a painting that is about you know what's happening in the world directly because because if i if i want to speak about the world directly I, I really don't think painting is necessarily a very good way to do that you know i think that there are i mean it's sort of like i don't want to sound like some boring or reactionary but so often i'll go into exhibitions and think i don't think i'm going to sit through three hours of video art in a gallery to give me this one message when you know a 15 second soundbite well made by somebody who really knows what they're doing calls themselves a film director will put this out there and make me think about it instantly I, I think there's kind of and that probably does make maybe we should cut that bit because that does make me sound really boring and reactionary doesn't it but you know what I mean yeah I do and it was you know something in response to your shed paintings that I um uh, that I expressed in an in an email you know I really I find it so refreshing actually that you, you know the kind of work that that you're making and it doesn't feel I mean you know you're I mean, you're aware of the tradition within which you're working. I mean, I mean, the, you're not um, uh, you're not stupid as a painter. I mean, you are. It's incredibly knowing work, and I mean, and I'm very aware that these are precisely the kind of things that are, are sort of going through your mind, not necessarily in relation to your own practice, but in the way you define art and your understanding of the role of the of the artist uh, in society at large. So it's really, um, you know, with all of that, you know, that there is this kind of this space that you keep, this metaphorical shed uh, that you inhabit, that you, that you need and that everybody needs uh, in order to in order to survive times like this awful year, mm. twenty twenty that we went through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>